episode of the Mac and D podcast. How are you doing, JBD? I am doing fantastic, Matthew Mac. I'm just ready to sit here and talk about sports per usual. Yeah, always the best part of the week. Anything interesting going on this week for you? Not really, just kind of being an Excel jockey, building a lot of models. Um, then I get to go to a wedding, I guess. That's not really exciting, though. That's just kind of have to do, not get to do, if you ask me. But, you know, I'll have that this weekend and then rinse, repeat. It feels like a, I'm at that age where everyone's getting married all the time. So a lot, lot of weddings just in general this whole summer. Yeah, it's really wedding season. I am a big fan of the summer wedding. Like anyone that has a fall wedding, I feel like you're just setting yourself up for failure, right? Because like everyone's going to have their phone and they're just going to be staring right down at it watching the football game. So there's there's no point in doing a fall wedding in my opinion. So those people are doing it right. <laughs> yeah, I have a wedding in November that the whole family is a huge football family. So I think some of the groomsmen in the party might be the ones on their phones watching college football during the wedding. Yeah, you better have a quick ceremony or it better be like, uh, I don't know, an 11 a.m. ceremony on a Sunday so we can get ready for that noon kickoff. So just not smart, in my opinion. Um, yeah, I've done- everyone, everyone take your wedding advice from Matthew Mack. That's the important part. We should really be maybe podcasting. If it doesn't work, we can be wedding planners and just let people figure it out. <laughs> you know me. I, I should definitely be a relationship advice person, but that, that'll be a different career. We're going to start with just podcasting for now. Okay. So interesting stuff's been going on this week. Um, just different training camp things, a few contract extensions, um, starting with one that happened just this morning. We're recording on a Wednesday afternoon. Um, Derwin James, the safety for the LA Chargers, which still sounds weird to say. I'm used to San Diego. He signed a four-year, $76.4 million extension. So definitely got paid, definitely got his money. And it's a little interesting, too, because he's had that injury history in the past. Yeah, I, I think, I mean, to your first point, I agree. It is difficult still saying LA Chargers because every time I see LAC on a uh, NFL game, I'm like, who the hell is playing right now? But then, you know, it takes a second to figure it out. I think it's the Clippers um, every time, not going to lie. LA Clippers. <laughs> no, it's, I think that the big takeaway here is, is you can just tell that the Chargers are really going all in. I think it's very interesting to see a team really dedicate themselves to winning with a, you know, the rookie quarterback under contract. Uh, they're really shoring up the defense and then obviously they're just kind of relying on uh, on Herbert to just carry carry the offense um, you know I think it'll be interesting to see you know how it pans out for him because that's just a brutal division but you know it really seems to have taken all the right steps to be a, a winning team this year yeah I think that's a really good point with the rookie quarterback um, still being on that cheap salary right now I always feel really gypped as like a Lions fan because one of the last quarterbacks to not be on that rookie scale was Matthew Stafford. And then we also drafted Calvin Johnson and an Opkin Sue in the top two of their respective drafts. So we had these really expensive rookies, but now that's almost like the ultimate cheat code. That's what the Seattle Seahawks did in order to have two Super Bowl appearances. So it'll be definitely interesting to see if they can cash out with Justin Herbert's cheap contract. They were able to trade for Khalil Mack this offseason as well in his pretty big contract. They also have Joey Bosa on that front seven. So um, Derwin James, I think, is definitely a steal at that amount of money. They didn't have to do a full five-year extension or anything like that. They kept it at four. And I think it's really interesting because Derwin James can play that linebacker role. He can play the safety role. He can play all the different corner roles as well that you want. So he's truly a Swiss Army knife when it comes to that defensive backfield. So yeah, yeah, I'm a big you missed, fan. Uh, you, you missed the J.C. Jackson signing, too. True. So they got a ball hawk in J.C., which is sad to see as a Patriots fan. But, I mean, they're – 
I don't know if their defense is necessarily going to be that, you know, constant three and out defense, but I think they're going to be more of the, uh, the, you know, constant turnover or, um, you know, crucial down sack type defense with, uh, with Mack and Bosa. And then, yeah, you got JC and Derwin James back, back in the defensive backfield. So yeah, I think, I think they're gonna be an exciting team to watch. It's going to be the offense is getting a big play or the defense is getting a big play or the other team's getting a big play, but regardless, there's going to be a lot of big plays going on. Yeah, we're going to have to do that episode sometime soon, going over defenses, special teams, and kickers for fantasy. But Chargers are definitely one of those defenses that I'm looking at because they have so many opportunistic kind of guys. So um, one of the guys that you mentioned was J.C. Jackson. And I actually want to talk about him a little bit today because he's a former Patriots guy. You know him very well. Um, The NFL did their top 100 rankings this week. I don't know if you saw this. Basically, all the players put together a ballot, and then the NFL puts them all together to make a uh, cumulative top 100 rankings. And there were some definitely interesting picks. There always always is interesting picks. Um, back in 2018, Carson Wentz was number three in the entire NFL, which is crazy to think about now, looking back on it now that he's on his third team in three years. Um, but this year, uh, J.C. Jackson was ranked as high as sixth in the entire NFL which I thought was just kind of crazy. Like number one corner, higher than Jalen Ramsey, higher than Stephon Gilmore, higher than a bunch of other guys. So what do you think about that ranking? Well, I think first and foremost, the NFL top 100 is always just kind of a popularity contest mixed with not really an accurate voting. So if I'm not mistaken, I think it's just people vote on their top 20 and then the NFL just does some behind the scenes magic to say, cool, here's the top 100. So it's not even like every player is voting on exactly who they think the top 100 are. And even then, I mean, you, you can't ever really tell how important someone is to their their team to actually put them into a, a role of top 100. Because there, there could be a lot of people behind the scenes that do a lot more than, than the stat sheets show. As far as JC being as high as number six, um, I, I think it makes sense because, you know, he's a great tackler always seem to find a way to, to get good interceptions. Um, I, I think where it doesn't make sense though, is like Jalen Ramsey's just complete lockdown where, where JC, I don't think really was, I, you know, I'd put JC in the ball hot kind of like, kind of like digs, but not necessarily the pure shutdown being higher than Gilmore. I think makes sense just because Gilmore was missing quite a few games the, this past couple of years with injuries. He's kind of on the, the wrong end of 30 and all that. But regardless, I mean, the dude's a baller. He, he, you know, he has a nose for the ball. Uh, we'll see how this year goes. You know, he finally got paid. He's no longer on that undrafted free agent contract. He's on a, a real big boy contract. So hopefully, for his sake, he lives up to it. Um, yeah, well, hopefully, hopefully that's what happens for uh, for him. But we'll see. Yeah, you're 100 percent right. It definitely is a popularity contest. It's like you're voting for whatever you're doing, like the yearbook awards, whatever you're in high school. In a lot of ways. Uh, it's also interesting seeing Trayvon Diggs being in the top 10 of some of the ballots. Um, I saw that whenever they put it all together to make the cumulative top 100, they had Kirk Cousins, number 99, ahead of some other very notable quarterbacks. And then they also had Mac Jones, number 85. Yeah, I knew that one was going to come up. <laughs> I, I don't think 85 makes sense. He had a great rookie year, but I mean, there's just a lot of – objectively more talented at this point in time NFL players, which is why, again, it's like the NFL top 100 just makes a good, you know, F5 season bit of content for the NFL network. I, I don't think anyone should look past that really at all. It's just kind of what it is. It just gives a chance for them to put some highlights up, have some, some guys come on and talk about different players in the league. And that's about it. 
Yeah, it's definitely a propaganda machine, if we're being honest. And uh, yeah, speaking of propaganda machines on the NFL Network, we got the second episode of Hard Knocks coming out this week in Detroit Lions training camp. So uh, did you watch the second episode yet, James? No, I need, I need to, to catch up on all, on all the episodes. So I'll, I'll defer to you here. What kind of exciting quotes do we have coming out? What, you know, how, how many wins are the Lions getting this year? 16 or 17? Is it, is it going to be a full 17 and 0? Like how, how hyped are you after your hard knocks? Dude, it's so hard going into all these hard knocks because you don't know half these guys, right? And then you go into it and you're like, man, I'd run through a brick wall for one of these guys. It's like a sixth round rookie out of Oklahoma State that I've never heard of before. So there was a definitely some quotable moments, definitely some crazy moments. Um, one of the wildest ones was Amon Ross St. Brown was featured very heavily in this one. And it was funny. He, uh, he counted out all 16 receivers that were drafted ahead of him. And last year's NFL draft, he was a rookie last year. He's a sophomore this year. And he was going through some of the names. And some of them made sense. You know, you got your really classic like Devontae Smith, Jalen Waddles, guys that you expected to go ahead of him. But there's some weird names as you got towards the end, like Tutu Otwell, guys that like you've never heard of or like buried on depth charts. And now you have a Bob Brown going for 800 plus yards. So uh, he's definitely salty. He definitely has a chip on his shoulder. Reminds me a little bit of Draymond Green, knowing every 30 plus people have got ahead of him. So, yeah, man's a dog for sure. Yeah, I, I mean, that's like a classic move, right? Tom always talks about being draft pick number 199 and, and how he kept that chip on his shoulder for 20 years where it, it's interesting from the outside looking in, you know, as a fan of Stacey, you just be like, hey, grow up. Like, who, who gives a shit? You're in the NFL. Like, just, just you know, ball out. But, I mean, everyone there is so hyper competitive that if you can find any little edge, even if it's something as simple as making up people sliding you, uh, then just go for it. I mean, if it's going to make you a better player, you know, do what you got to do. Yeah, Amon Ra is one of the most interesting players in the entire NFL. And I don't just say that because I'm biased as a Lions fan. So he's got I think up- you do, but keep going. <laughs> Here's why. <laughs> Let me lay my case. So obviously he's got the interesting name, Amon Ra St. Brown. Like that's a lot of syllables. Got like the sun god, Egyptian kind of thing going on. His older brother is Aquanius, the receiver for, I believe he's on the Bears now. Um, so obviously really strange name. His dad is named John Brown. Really boring. Nothing exciting there. His mom was actually um, an Olympic sprinter. So they definitely have that pedigree in their blood. Um, there's also the interesting fact of Amon Ra took the SAT in three different languages. If I remember correctly, it was Portuguese, Spanish, and English. So he's like a super smart guy. And he's also like incredibly ripped. His dad in the episode they were showing um, is the trainer for Amon Ra and his older brother. And it was so funny. Random guys during this episode were getting the craziest strays. So um, the his dad, John Brown, was talking about all the different workouts that they do. And it's really just like a matter of putting effort in. You're a gym bro, James. You know all about this. And so it was funny. They were talking about having to do like a full body workout. And they're like, oh, yeah, Kevin Durant, he's never done a calf raise in his life. I was like, why did you have to why did you have to hit Kevin Durant like that? He's not even in the episode. So that was that was the first funny stray. And then the second funny one was they were talking about Malcolm Rodriguez, who was a sixth-round rookie out of Oklahoma State. And you had the linebacker coach for the Lions, and he was talking about how you had sixth-round rookies who were outperforming 
uh, first rounders at linebacker. And the entire camera was just panned on Gerard Davis, who was the Lions first round pick out of Florida a handful of years ago. And like, it was very obvious who they were talking to. And the, the camera did great work of showing his reaction as Malcolm Rodriguez was clearly outplaying him in the first preseason game. So the NFL knows how to make, pull your heartstrings and really make good content. So I've been really enjoying hard knocks. Right. No, the tough part with uh, hard knocks is going to be, you, you fall in love with all these people and the, the way the cuts work in the NFL is like, there's like five this week and then five next week. And you're like, cool, my guy's going to make it. And then you realize there's like 20 the last week of preseason. You're like, oh, half this team is going to be gone by the time uh, it's over. And you had that episode where it's just showing the stream of dudes that like realize they just didn't make it, you know, slowly walking out of the locker room. is like the most heartfelt episode. But other than that, you know, there's you know, some good, some pretty good feel good stories there. But man, that the episode with all the cuts, those are those are the tough ones. Yeah, there's some definitely good characters this year that they've been highlighting. I'm like, you're probably not making the roster based off what I read. There's a guy from Nigeria who's never played football previous to college, got D1 offers from Alabama, and he went undrafted. So like, there's pretty low shot that he ends up making it. But those are the type of characters you hope stick around and find a spot in the league. But it's just not very likely. Moving on, uh, we've had some interesting injuries this week. Um, Specifically, we had Joe Burrow coming back in action this week. So he had his appendix surgery. He's finally back. Um, It's going to be really exciting. He was also on the cover of Sports Illustrated this week. So it's Joe Burrow. He's back in action. Yeah, no, that's it's exciting. Um, You know, you talked about teams with rookie quarterback deals. So the Bengals being one of them where they have a lot of young talent. So obviously – you know, they want Joe to be practicing as much as possible, you know, and they're getting as many reps as possible, even though he's proven himself, but he, I, you know, he can tell by his demeanor and kind of all his reports come out, like he knows he still needs to get better. Um, I think the big thing is just really seeing, okay, he, he had the, uh, you know, the appendectomy and everything, but it's, you know, one of those surgeries where he, you know, it's no big deal from the outside looking in, but, um, you know, knowing some people have gone through it, it, it's definitely not fun when it's happening. Like you, you just have no idea what's going on with you. Like you, you're everything, like you get kind of dizzy, you're thinking you're going to throw up. You're like, you know, what, what the hell is happening to me? Am I having a stroke? Whatever. Like it's, it's kind of a scary moment. Cause you're just like, not sure what's happening. Uh, but then you find out it's like, Oh, it's just this useless organ that they got to yank out. So, uh, glad, it, you know, glad it was quick. Glad he's recovered. Uh, you just get excited for some Cincinnati Bengals football. Yeah, dude, as soon as I learned as a kid what an appendix was and the fact that it could just, like, burst at any moment, every stomach ache I had after that, even if it was just, like, gas or something, I always thought I was having appendicitis. I'm like, mom, I need to go to the hospital. Like, have the doctor check my stomach and everything. And then it, you know, yeah, it, well, it's the same, like, anytime you uh, see a mosquito, all of a sudden your legs are itchy. Or if you're walking in the woods and you see poison ivy, you're like, oh, my God, is, is it all over my body? So, yeah, it's just one of those fun little things about being a human. Gotta love it. One of my favorite things about the article that came out about Joe Burrow today was like in the lead up to the Super Bowl. He's already a super famous guy, but like at going up to the Super Bowl, you have all the media days, you have a lot of obligations that you have to do. And he was talking about how he was still making time to play Call of Duty with his friends from back home, like his closest confidants. So I thought that was pretty relatable. Like that's something that I would want to do leading up to it, just to have a sense of normalcy going on. So I thought that was pretty cool. <laughs> Another let me see the gamers getting after it. You got to, you know, the, the gamer yeah. juice and everything. Another injury that happened um, recently that we're going to talk about a little bit today. Um, we're doing rookie rankings today, which I'm really excited about as a college football fan. Um, Ken Walker, uh, the running back out of Michigan State, had surgery today. 
And this story is really starting to concern me on top of some concerns I already had about Ken Walker. He apparently had a sports hernia and he had to have surgery for it. And then the Seahawks have come out and said it wasn't a hernia. So we're not 100% what the actual injury is. And this isn't the first time the Seahawks have been very dubious about injuries that players are having. Um, They were weird about Earl Thomas injuries, uh, Cam Chancellor they were weird about, uh, Chris Carson, we didn't really get a status update for weeks and weeks and weeks until he ended up retiring. So it's not abnormal for the Seahawks to be weird about injuries. But the fact that like we don't know what kind of injury he has, and there's also Rashad Penny, who went off at the end of the last season, it makes me very dubious that Ken Walker is going to be getting a lot of run this year. What are your thoughts there? Well, I, I think you hit a good point there where it's like, you know, I mean, the NFL teams have to disclose what's going on. So anytime that they're being shady about it makes you really, really take a step back and think like what exactly is going on here, especially a team like the Seahawks that, you know, everyone maybe aside from the most diehard Seahawks faithful realize like this is not going to be their year, right? This is definitely a bridge year or the beginning of a couple bridge years. So when you, you know, picked a rookie as high as they did, you know, at the running back position, you have time to let them get acclimated. So it's not like they have to rush him back or, or really, you know, hide what's going on. So, I mean, it's just so simple to say, hey, you know, we're being cautious because X happened. This is what's going on. That's all there is to it. No one's going to complain about you not throwing your rookie to the wolves when, again, you're not going to win more than four or five games this season. So I, it's, it's definitely weird, and it bodes well for um, Rashad Penny. Right, Rashad Penny? Mm-hmm. Okay, sorry. It's Rashad Penny uh, owners everywhere are definitely probably getting a just a little little bit of a you know butterfly feeling of excitement knowing that you know maybe they got a, a steal before he starts shooting up draft boards. Yeah, hundred percent. I did a draft the other night, and Rashad Penny and Ken Walker are right next to each other. Penny's going really late in drafts; he's like one twenty nine ADP on ESPN, and Walker's one thirty. So you kind of get your pick of the two, and I would much rather have Penny. He's in a contract here this year coming up. The Seahawks don't really care about putting a ton of miles on him. I feel like they're just going to run him into the ground and then see with next season, maybe when they get another quarterback in the system, get a Bryce Young or a CJ Stroud or something like that. Then they'll actually try with their younger guys. But I I think it's going to be Penny all day long this year as long as he stays healthy. Um, I I kind of agree with that one, especially at 130, you could get kind of like RB2 production. Because it's it's kind of like the, the Chris Carson role when you always are able to get him at like pick 40 maybe 45 and he was like a solid RB two. It's like now you're getting the same idea, but at pick one thirty. Exactly. And like, I feel like we had a pretty good quarterback in Seattle last year and Russell Wilson and Pete Carroll still wanted to run the hell out of the ball. Now they have Geno Smith and Drew Locke. Like you don't think they're going to run even more with like terrible quarterbacks. Like it just makes so much sense that they're going to run the ball and run the ball and run the ball. And Drew Locke actually got COVID today. So like that even affects it even more. So, um, some other interesting things that happened today, uh, college football announced where their playoff sites are going to be going forward. Um, 2025 is going to be Atlanta. 2026 is going to be sunny Miami. Personally, I'm really tired of the Southern sites for a lot of these games. Um, they did Indy this past year, which was pretty cool. Um, but I don't know. I feel like the North kind of gets gypped in a lot of this. Cause like, if you think about it, I say this as I'm wearing an SEC shirt, Arkansas shirt. Uh, I feel like the North really gets gypped when it comes to these neutral site games, these bowl games in the college football playoff location. Because like, just like think about it. If you're, if you're a Joe Schmo like me or you, and we're trying to go to a game and we live in Minnesota, 
and our team is the Wisconsin Badgers or something like that. You don't think whenever the game's in Florida and we're playing Alabama, like there's going to be more Alabama fans just because of proximity. So I, I would love to see more games at Lambeau Field or in Seattle. And like, I know it's cold, but like if you get one that has a dome, like for example, Minneapolis, they have a dome there. Granted, it's not a good one. I would love to see more games up there just to make it more um, more fair, more equitable, and just give some of these northern teams a home field advantage for their first time ever, probably. Um, it's 2022. We don't need to be playing in the South anymore. Global warming's a thing. Like, let's just be playing some more fair games. That's all I'm saying. Yeah, I, I can't believe you took a shot at is it U.S. Bank Stadium there in Minneapolis. Like, I thought that was one of the nice – it's like a brand-new stadium. They just had a Super Bowl there. I can't believe you're, you're – calling it out but you know, a couple I'm years like, ago they had like snow coming through the roof or something it's like yeah but then they built the new stadium yeah they built a new stadium though so they're good now i don't trust their I'm, I'm with you I, I think we baby these these athletes too much make them play outside in lambo you know for bowl games like you know that's it kind of would uh would give some of those northern teams that advantage you know you see wisconsin roll up to these these uh southern bowl games and it's like these guys are sweating their asses off because they're used to practicing in 40 degree weather like why not just flip the script every now and again make usc go play in like buffalo or something you know yeah exactly it's just like mix it up that's all that's all we're asking for yeah and like some of the most fun games like i remember that uh detroit lions philadelphia eagles game where Lashawn mccoy just went insane he was the only one who actually looked like he was running on the actual ground everyone else was slipping and sliding in the snow Shady had like 200 plus yards. It was one of the most iconic games for him. And so I love those kind of games. Those are the kind of games you play growing up and everything. So we should have mm-hmm. more of those in my opinion. Last yeah. last bit of news I want to hit on was the LeBron James extension today. Uh, LeBum James, as he's called, got a two-year $97 million extension from the LA Lakers. There was some speculation that he was going to leave the Lakers at some point, um, potentially to play with his son, Bronny elsewhere wherever Bronny ends up getting drafted um it kind of begs the question James if you are an NBA team and you have all these different forces going on you have your coach who wants to have the best possible team your GM who wants to have the best possible team and you're an owner who wants to make a lot of money while also having a good team if you have the opportunity to draft Bronny James somewhere and he's it'll be two years from now how high would you draft him like would you draft him like top 30, top 20, top 10. And like, it looks like Bronny James is just going to be like an average prospect, like a second round pick, maybe a late first round pick somewhere in there. Would you be willing to draft him top 10 if that means that LeBron's guaranteed to come there, sell a ton of merch, break a lot of records, and also maybe even make you a little bit more competitive. If Even if you're like a bad team, like if you're like the Thunder right now and you're stockpiling picks and have a bunch of young players, would you still be willing to draft Bronny James in that top 10 just to be able to like sell all that? I say I don't think top ten unless you know his play merits being a top ten pick because the issue is if you're that high of a pick you're probably not a great team right if you if you're in the NBA lottery you're you're not to the point where it's worth you know throwing away the future to get at that point a, a nearly forty year old LeBron um, and, you know it also kind of depend on how LeBron's playing over these next couple of years because you know as that contract expires is he still you know MVP caliber LeBron or is it more of like Oh, this is looking like um, like Vince Carter, you know, at the kind of his age forty season, where yep. it's more of like a three and some D kind of player instead of you know like the their former selves. So I think that, you know there's a lot of elements to it. Now, if you're a championship contender, you know, say picking at thirty or thirty one, something like that, and you're just like 
screw it, let's go for it, then yeah, I mean, it's you know, when you're picking that late in the NBA draft, it's all a crapshoot anyway. So then at that point, it's like, why not? Let's just see what happens, and it'd be exciting. So, I, yeah, top ten probably. I I don't see a reason to do that, but maybe maybe some galaxy brain GM will will uh, outsmart me on that one. Yeah, I think it would only be worth it if you are like a Golden State Warriors a couple years ago when they were like still a contending team but had a bunch of injuries and they got the second overall pick. At that point, I think it'd be worth it because you're getting like a contending LeBron James. In theory, he'll still be at least somewhat good at age 40. And then you'll also get Bronny James who would like still be able to like maybe help you a little bit, also help you for the future a little bit. And like it would make sense because you'd be going to a big market as well. I kind of have like one main issue with the potential of this happening is like LeBron has said in the past he's going to do X, Y, Z, whether it's like staying in Miami if Miami drafts Shabazz Napier or staying in Cleveland because he wants to stay home or, oh, you know, I want to stay in Cleveland my entire career the first time around. Like there's been a lot of promises that he's made or he's like made the outward appearance that he's doing something. Like, I don't know if you remember like this one time he got asked about a book that he was reading about Malcolm X. It was like really clear. He had never read the book before. The dude's like a little bit of a liar, not going to lie. So like I, if I'm a GM and I, my entire team and future as a career is pegged on how I perform as a team. I don't know how, if I end up trusting LeBron to actually follow through, if I draft Ronnie, that he's actually going to come. Like, he might come to the games and sit in the stands, but I'm not guaranteed that he's actually going to be on the court. So unless, like, the NBA owner, my team's owner, is like, hey, if you don't draft Bronny James, you're getting fired right now, I'd be a little dubious about, like, the top 10. I would probably do it yeah. top 20, but top 10's a little steep. So I, I don't know if I'd call LeBron a liar, but I'm not going to call him a truther. So, <laughs> it's, yeah, it's, you know, it's your mileage may vary when, yeah. when you're trusting the, when you're trusting LeBron. Yeah, just the NBA in general. Like it's all mind games, right? And everyone's leaving teams every well, time. There's so. so much money in it too. Like, I mean, it's you could say one thing, but then all it takes is some company that we hadn't heard of or that's brand new, and they have fifty million dollars to put into advertising. They're like, screw it, we're going to get one NBA super superstar to be our entire you know marketing budget, and then you know you get people like Clay Tom uh, Clay Thompson just uh you know, advertising like Ethelina or whatever, like some random Chinese shoe brand. You're just like, you know, we've never heard of it, but this guy's making like a hundred million dollars off of like a shoe deal of a company you've never heard of. Like, <laughs> I mean, random stuff like that really changes your loyalties pretty quickly. Yeah. I think it's also really funny because we've talked about two extensions on this pod. We've talked about the Derwin James extension four years, 76 million. So that's what's math. That's like 15, six, 15 to 20 million yeah. a year, somewhere in that range. Yeah. And then yeah. you have LeBron's extension, which is two years, ninety-seven million. That's like roughly fifty million a year. Um, and this is prior to everything else, you know, taxes. Well, it's crazy how much more magnitude you have whenever you're in the NBA. So we talked about last episode. Don't let your kids be linebackers. This episode, tell your kids to be NBA players because you're going to make twice as much money if you're really good. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Being being an NBA player is where it's at if, if money is your thing. Also, it seems like MLB, you you get broken off on those contracts. You get like just casual, like 20 year billion dollar deals. Just like insane things happen. But yeah, the Braves did it again this week. We talked about it a few pods ago. They signed some guy that I've never heard of in my life. His name's like Michael Harris II or something like that. He signed an eight year, $80 million deal. And he's a rookie this year. And he just went ahead and signed a whole new extension. I'm like, dude, you're. You're betting on yourself, and the Braves are also betting on you. And like, you're only making like ten million a year, and so you might be worth way more than that. But you also may be worth way less than that. So it's like ultimate yes, game. Only ten sides. million. That's yeah, poor him. Yeah, I know, I know, I know. I totally take that on repeat. 
So uh, today's episode, we're going to be going over rookies, um, specifically looking at redraft re- leagues, um, looking at rookies all across the board. We're also going to dabble a little bit into their dynasty value as well. So we'll be right back after this commercial break to get into that rookie rankings. Today's pause brought to you by Garlic and Unkin. There's a reason HelloFresh and other subscription food services have been taking off in popularity. Cooking has become a lost art. While I myself struggle to follow even the most basic of recipes, as my irrational confidence tells me continually that I can replace certain ingredients for others, such as baking powder for baking soda, there's always one fail-safe that I can rely on. Garlic and onions. Don't know what to cook? Start with some garlic and onions. Have friends coming over to eat? Greet them with the smell of garlic and onions. Your dish isn't coming out as planned? Well, chances are, garlic and onion can fix that. Thank you to Garlic and Onion for being the Band-Aid food we didn't know we needed. And thanks again for sponsoring the pod. Let's see what the second half of this episode has cooking up. And we're back. So we're going to be going into our tiers for our NFL rookies this year, um, starting with our number one overall pick. So what is your overall strategy when it comes to rookie drafts? Do Do you think that they're extremely worth it? Do you not really trust rookies in redraft leagues? What's, what's kind of your overall perspective on rookies in their first year? Yeah, I, you know, for the longest time, I was pretty anti-rookie. But I think over the past few years, what you've seen is especially the the receivers more so than running backs. But a, a very talented receiver can come into the NFL and, and make waves immediately. You're talking, you know, Justin Jefferson his first year, Jamar Chase his first year. Um, you know, Kadarius Tony had flashes in his first year. Devonte Smith, even though people kind of forget about him, I mean, he had a pretty sneaky, if not a thousand yard, pretty close to a thousand yard season last year. I mean, he had a, a pretty productive season again as a rookie and not on a passing team. Like these guys are coming in, you know, playing seven on seven since age ten. So you know, I mean, they just have a ton of experience running routes. They're incredibly quick. They're able to really understand how to get open. And the new, new age corner or. Um, coordinators are, are really understanding how to help these guys, you know, simplify the offense and, and make it easy for them to just, you know, not think and, and just fly down the field. So um, more and more, I'm, I'm definitely, I get really excited about rookies because there's a ton of potential. And then also there's the element of people just don't know them. So you can do really well in your, your kind of like friend uh, fantasy drafts, because if you're, you're going against guys like me that don't watch college football, you might be able to, to sneak in and get someone maybe, even if you reach for maybe around soon, uh, you still get a really good player, especially if you're you know higher up on them than other people are. So I, I would say don't sleep on rookies. Definitely you know do a little bit of homework, try to understand who's in a good position to succeed, and then take advantage of just very talented players getting a, getting a chance. Yeah, definitely. I think a lot of teams nowadays, too, whenever it comes to running backs, they're only drafting running backs if it's like truly a position of need. They're not just like, hey, we're going to waste a pick on a, on a running back. If we don't really need a running back, like we're just going to get a random veteran off the scrap heap, you know? So I think running backs get inserted into good positions pretty early on, most often. Um, but I also think the wide receivers have been really, really promising lately. It seems like every year there's a new receiver that just really ends up popping off. It's just really, really hard to pick which one is going to end up doing that. I remember like a handful of years ago, there was a big debate between Justin Jefferson and Jalen Rager because they were going back to back in the draft. And then they were going back to back in fantasy drafts. And it was like, 
it's, it's almost a, it's almost a coin toss on which one you think is going to end up being better. So that's why it's really important to pay attention during training camp, during these preseason games, and then also paying attention during the first like handful of games to see who is end up going to be that Odell Beckham or something like that in the rookie year. So I'm kind of the well, same you way. You also need to pay attention. Oh, sorry. I was going to say, you just need to pay attention to like who else is on the team, right? So if it's a rookie coming in and they're going to have to step into that number one role, meaning they're going to be taking on number one corners and things like that. They might not be in a position to have a great season, but if you're like a Justin Jefferson who has an Adam Thielen on the other side of the field, it, it relieves a lot of pressure. And, you know, Sam for Jamar Chase's past year, both T Higgins and Tyler Boyd were competent receivers. So it doesn't make it where it's like a rookie feels like the, the pressure and the weight of the world is on their shoulders and it just gives them a chance to, to really succeed. Definitely. Definitely. So kind of similar to that, Let's talk about the first overall pick that's been going ADP-wise in drafts. And there, he's also our number one, both of ours. Uh, Brees Hall, the running back on the New York Jets. What do you like about him? Yeah, I, I think this one just comes down to, I, you know, for, for uh, PPR players out there, that he can catch the ball, he can run the ball. And, I mean, I think just not only were his combine stats fantastic, but, I mean, he just had a very solid college career. And it's one of those ones where, you know, it's it's not just like some athlete coming out of nowhere. Like he has enough tape out there for you to see, like this is a very talented running back. And he's getting thrust into an offense that, I mean, obviously the Mekhi Becton injury hurts, but he's, he's getting put into a position where everyone's excited about potentially kind of a, a new look Jets offense. So, you know, he's still in a position to really take the lion's share of the carries. You know, he'll split him with Michael Carter. And uh, like Tevin Johnson or so, I think is the maybe the RB three there. But um, it, you know, it's, it's really there's a clear path for him to being the the RB one on the team, and I think that's why people are just jumping at it. On top of the fact that the dude just had an unbelievable you know collegiate career. Yeah. So for people that aren't too familiar, he came out of Iowa State. Uh, was pretty much the only good player on their team outside of quarterback. And he was carrying uh, much of the load for their offenses for two straight years, uh, finishing in the top 10 and Heisen voting two times. Um, it was basically after Alan Lazard left, it was pretty much the Brees Hall show from then on. Uh, Brees Hall is like uber athletic. Um, he's like one of like six players all time to have like perfect athletic scores coming out of the combine. You mentioned his amazing combine performance. All of the measurables are there. Um, and you mentioned Michael Carter, which honestly scares me a little bit. I think Michael Carter is a very quality player and someone that we're going to see stick around this league for a long time. Um, it, he may be more like a Tevin Coleman type of role uh, going forward. And so I think Brees Hall has all the talent in the world. It's really just a matter of if his situation ends up being really great with the Jets. I think that potential is worth it. Like, scare money doesn't make money sort of situation. And so he's worth it to take as the first rookie off the board, um, especially if he ends up falling in your draft. Um, he's going around, like, top 30 in most drafts right now, maybe top 40, depending yeah, on your you know, and I've, I've been so. seeing, like, like early 40s. Um, I think the thing... Yeah, it scares me a bit with him. Uh, you know, on top of Michael Carter being a good player, you know, the, the likelihood of the Jets being down in a lot of games, but but also the people going around him, I feel like are a lot safer. So you said, you know, scared money don't make money. So he's definitely a higher upside pick, uh, you know, compared to like a Josh Jacobs or an Antonio Gibson, who is, I mean, just plummeting down boards. But I, I would probably pick like a Travis Etienne before Brees, but Brees is coming off the board sooner. So it's like there's there's some people that I mean and ETN and, and Brees are probably the exact same type uh you know risk factor. Like we haven't seen either of them play in the NFL. 
we just kind of know what their situation is. Um, but I think, you know, ETN, you, you might have a little bit higher upside just based off, you know, coming into a, a new look Jaguars that are going to be a lot better suited than the Jets this season. Yeah, it's funny you mentioned Travis Etienne. He was totally the person I was going to bring up as well. Um, Etienne started to rise up a little bit on draft boards, but if you look at ESPN rankings, you got Brees Hall that's right around like 30 or so, and then you have Etienne who's like 55th. But now he's starting to rise up boards, but that's definitely a good value to get Etienne, in my opinion. I would mm-hmm. definitely draft Etienne above Brees Hall. But I also mentioned the six guys who have a perfect athletic score coming out of the NFL Combine. Travis Etienne is one of those six. So they're almost like perfect foils of each other. It's almost a matter of if you prefer a better situation with Etienne or prefer less injury history in Brees Hall. Mm-hmm. Um, but I would per- personally take Etienne. I think Brees Hall is definitely the number one overall pick for Dynasty if you're going forward. Oh, no, yeah, hands down. It, I mean, it's just, it's so easy. It's a young running back with a ton of upside. I mean, you just, you have to grab him early. Yeah, and I think there's really good potential for the Jets being really bad this year and continuing to get more offensive upside for next year. And so he would be a very good stash play for this year and then going forward um, in the future. So um, Brees Hall, interesting player, interesting situation for sure. So looking at our number two on our boards, you we have a bit of a difference here. We kind of flipped two and three. You have Drake London number two. I have Chris Olave number two. You have Chris Olave number three. I have Drake London number three. So why London over Olave in this situation? I, I like London's the the role he's kind of projected to have in this Atlanta offense. Again, he, his only. Um, you know, competition for targets is Kyle Pitt. So, I mean, he really is going to be like, even if he gets off to a slow start, like he's just going to get a ton of targets as the wide out for this team. And I think they're going to be down in a lot of games. Like they're going to have to rely on throwing the ball. Uh, We've talked a bit in prior podcasts about Cordero Patterson and how I think we both kind of feel last year was cool for him, but we don't really see this just continued, you know, high level RB2, low end RB1 production out of Cordero. So they're, they're going to have to get offense from somewhere. And, and, you know, I think it, they have a rookie running back, t- Tyler Algier. Yeah, Tyler Algier that we'll probably talk about later, you know, and, and then Kyle Pitts and Drake London. So it's, it's going to be the young guys getting a lot of opportunities. Um, but then, you know, when you look at, like, Chris Olave, you, you have just more mouths to feed in that offense. Kamara, it's looking less likely he's going to get that suspension, so he's going to get his touches. Uh, Michael Thomas – everything's coming out that he's healthy. So if, if that is the case, he's going to get his targets, his touches. Um, you know, it's just, you start moving a little further down the, uh, the totem pole as a rookie with, with Olave. So, you know, I just don't know if, if I'm drafting, like I, I love both these guys to as, you know, really high upside picks, but I, you know, I, I'm just a little bit higher on London than Olave. Yeah, there's definitely some different factors that go into this a little bit. It also really matters if you're looking at redraft or you're looking at dynasty. We are looking at this war in a redraft lens. Honestly, in Dynasty, I might take London over Alave if I'm being 100% honest. So London came out of USC in that same offense that Amon Ross St. Brown came out of. He's definitely the bigger body receiver. He's definitely the heir apparent to Julio Jones, more or less, in Atlanta. Um, he doesn't have incredibly flashy stats, but he's definitely really young, really raw, 6'5", um, still has some good speed to him. Whereas Olave is a little bit skinnier. He's a little frailer, um, not as tall. He's also a little bit older. He stayed all four years in college trying to project his stock to be a little bit higher. Coming out of his junior year, he looked like he was going to most likely be a second-round pick. He came back, 
really, really popped off in his senior year with uh, CJ Stroud taking over and ended up uh, going top 15 as well in the NFL draft. Um, I really like Olave because he's a silky smooth athlete, um, really, really good hands. Uh, he ended up performing extremely well in an offense that also had really a ton of mouths to feed. He also had Garrett Wilson in the offense. Um, he had some really amazing running backs at Ohio State that also required a lot of touches. So I think Olave can thrive in that kind of offense. And I mean, like, what are the other wide receiver options outside of Michael Thomas? It's Jarvis Landry. It's it's uh, uh, what's his name? Callaway's back this year. So I definitely like for this upcoming year Olave a lot. I think he's definitely that prototypical guy that ends up popping off kind of like Jefferson over Rager. Rager was the less smooth athlete. Jefferson was the more smooth athlete. So that's kind of something I look forward to. And London, with him being a little bit younger, I might take him in the Dynasty League over a lot of it. Yeah, a guy that I'm pretty interested in, and we have him similar, similarly ranked, but I don't know if either of us have talked a lot about him, at least not in our wide receiver pod, is Sky Moore for Kansas City. So it's weird because it's like, there's so many, or there's just so much unknown with Kansas City this year that I feel like it's at least ripe for a rookie to come in and, and kind of make an impact, which you know makes Sky more exciting. But you know maybe you could give the argument for why or why not Sky Moore as one of their rookie receivers. Yeah, to draft. yeah, I think you would have to have your head in the ground if you weren't excited about Sky Moore this year. So obviously, it all starts with Patrick Mahomes, right? You have him as your quarterback you have a chance to be fancy relevant, right? He turned guys like Demarcus Robinson and Pringle last year into almost relevant fantasy options. Single-handedly has made Nicole Hartman's career relevant, even though he just got injured today, so I feel a little bit bad about that. So I think Sky Moore definitely has more talent than all of those guys. It's really just a matter if he ends up living up to that. Um, he's actually a former teammate of one of our friends from our NBA school, Nathan, shout out. Um, he was a quarterback in high school, converted over to wide receiver, um, has a lot of speed coming out of Western Michigan, um, and really just kind of like does everything the right way. He definitely seems like an Andy Reid type of guy. And there's such a void there. Um, when it comes to that top wide receiver, I think it'll end up being Juju, like if he ends up staying healthy at least. But like definitely right next to him, I think Sky Moore could very easily thrive. I have him sixth in my uh, rankings. I know you have him fourth, so I think we're both really high on him at this upcoming year. Yeah, I I think you said the 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 key word to me, which was Patrick Mahomes. So, I mean, just getting a chance to be you know catching balls from him is huge so for that reason alone and, and where you have to draft him if if it's obvious it's not going to be a season you can you can cut bait pretty quickly and, and pick someone else up yeah he's definitely one of those guys though that like i'm willing to burn a bench spot on for like four or five weeks even if he's like not doing that much not getting a ton of run from any read pretty early on he's someone that i'm willing to hold on to for a little bit as well so he, if i'm using like pick 100 or so on him and then I'm holding on to him for a little bit. I'm not upset about it. Some of these other guys that we're going to be talking about later on, Damian Pierce, Isaiah Spiller, Christian Watson, they're not performing pretty early on. I'm happy to move on. But Sky Moore, I feel like he is a little bit more mature. He's got a couple more years on him. I feel like he definitely could be an impact player later on in the season. Moving on a little bit, uh, I have Garrett Wilson as my number four, the other wide receiver out of Ohio State. Um, and you have Ken Walker in your top five, which I've already kind of given my piece on him. Why are you a little bit more optimistic about him? Yeah, I think this was an element of um, 
you know, a mixture of just kind of thinking redraft as well as dynasty, but being just kind of a very talented running back within that Seahawks offense, I think gives you a chance to get a lot of opportunities. Um, you know, the, the injury news is concerning for sure, but we have plenty of time to let that clear up. So obviously if more bad news comes out, he can drop pretty quickly, but until we know for sure, you know, I think even though Rashad Penny is the clear number one currently, it's like, I mean, you already mentioned it. Pete Carroll loves running the football and one running back can't share the load that, that Pete Carroll is trying to put out there. So this, he's going to get a ton of touches, you know, he can catch the ball. So he's just, he's got the opportunity and he's one of those guys where, um, you know, I, there's no allegiance to him. So like you were saying, if, if after two weeks, it's like, I don't know, like maybe I just have to wait for someone to get injured. I, I, I don't have a problem cutting him. So he's going late enough in the draft that it's like, Hey, you know, put him on your radar. If, if you miss out on like Ramondre Stevenson or Melvin Gordon, like, you know, maybe take a flyer shot on, on a Ken Walker and just see if it, if it comes into fruition. Yeah. I like Ken Walker. It's just like, even if you look at like his college tape, right? He was a running back at Michigan State. He had, a, if you look at his game log, he had a couple games where he just like com- got completely bottled up, and I could very easily see him turning into one of those guys that just gets like three yards per carry, and it just like isn't very explosive. Kind of like that Trent Richardson lack of vision almost. So he scares me a little bit as a prospect going forward. And Pete Carroll, he knows how to coach running backs. I, I'm not worried about that aspect of it. It's really just a matter of opportunity and if the, the pedigree is good enough. So um, some other guys that I have very highly ranked um, that I want to talk about. I have Isaiah. I don't even know how to pronounce his last name. Pacheco. Pacheco. Uh, he's a running back for the Kansas City Chiefs. Um, there's definitely a void there as well. So you got Clyde Edwards-Hilaire who ends up being the almost a lame duck incumbent starting running back. And Pacheco is this, like, new exciting toy that Andy Reid gets to play with, right? And he was a seventh-round pick, so definitely not very high, coming out of Rutgers. But the training camp stuff about him has been absolutely insane. And I try not to fall too much into the training camp hyper- hyperbole, but when Andy Reid is telling me he's the fastest guy he's ever seen in training camp and he's coached Tyreek Hill before, that's definitely something that I, like, perk up to a little bit, you know? So I definitely see him end up having a role on this offense, and he's someone that I want to draft pretty highly. I have him as fifth, which might be a little bit high, but, like, we've seen this before, you know, right, with Andy Reid-led offenses. Kareem Hunt ended up being one of the top five running backs whenever he was working. So Andy Reid's not afraid to play the best player, and if his pass blocking ends up being good enough to protect Patrick Mahomes, I can see Pacheco having a really yeah, I saw that name on your list, and I was just like, who is this? Like, I, I just didn't know who you were talking about. But now that you're talking through, you know, what team and everything, I, I know I've been seeing a lot of reports out of camp where, um, like you said, it's like uh, CEH is kind of the de facto, like, everyone's like, yeah, he's the RB1, but no one's, like, excited about it. You have um, McKinnon there who – he's been around for a long time, which is not the phrase you want to be saying about your running back on your roster. Yeah. You got Rojo. Like, I, yeah. You, you got just a lot of, yeah. <laughs> a lot of like, you know, who's who are going around there. And it's like, then you have Pache- uh, Pacheco, however you want to say his name here, but it's like, they're, they're giving him a lot of, uh, of like the important carries. So like in their preseason game, the, the work that he got was all within the twenties. So like, that's all the high value, um, carries as far as fantasy is concerned so he's like andy reed's already kind of indicating like hey we like this guy 
Uh, I think you just you keep paying attention. You, you keep being like Mad Mac and just get nothing but Kansas City propaganda thrown your way, and you get really high on them and, and just you know take a third to last pick on them, fourth to last pick, something like that. Just you know why not? <laughs> Who are some other guys outside of the top ten of rookies that one you really love, and two some guys that you really hate this upcoming season? Yeah, so I, I guess quickly people that I really love. So Jalen Tolbert for Dallas as a wide receiver, I think has a chance, a, a, a sneaky chance of, of being a, a really good wide receiver two or wide receiver three for you. Uh, Michael Gallup might not even play this season. I mean, he got injured like at the very last possible chance to get injured. So like he's, I don't know if he's coming back. So that gives him a chance to, to be that number two receiver or number three maybe behind like Dalton Schultz. Uh, so I'd, I'd keep an eye on, on what's going on for camp with him. I think... Tyler Algier, we were talking about a little bit earlier with Atlanta. It's just kind of a case of like, there's not other people there to take carries from him. Like you can't expect Cordero Patterson to just keep getting the amount of volume he got. Like, you know, CPAT's going to be what, 33, 34. Like it, the wheels fall off eventually, especially when you're taking those kind of hits. So he's interesting. And then I think, I thought there's one more guy I wanted to mention. Uh, yeah, the, the um, Jahan Dotson. I was, trying, I was mixing a lot of names there, but Jahan Dotson for Washington. We neither of us love Carson Wentz, but you know he's he's going to be a receiver, and I think a good situation in the sense that they're going to have to throw the ball a lot. Uh, Scary Terry's going to take a lot of heat off of him. You know they drafted him in the second or third rounds, so like they they you know invested a pretty high pick into him. So I think he's going to be going into a decent situation as far as you know fantasy production is concerned. Some people that are getting a lot of love that I would be weary would be um, like the like Kenny Pickett and uh, Malik Willis. So they had some pretty good, uh, you know, pretty good reps in the preseason. But again, it's like they're not really projected to start. The, both of them are kind of sitting at a redshirt year. So I don't know if I'd want to waste a pick or just kind of like try to grab them off the waiver if they do, you know, come into a starting role. Um, and then uh, Trey McBride, who we talked about in, in the tight end podcast, uh, rookie tight ends don't tend to perform super well. So, like, I'm, I'm not going to be taking too many chances there. You know, maybe keep an eye on, like, if things coming out of camp are, are really high on him, then, then maybe, like, a last pick on him if my tight end position looks pretty bad. But I'd, I'd probably stay away from a, a rookie tight end, especially one that wasn't, like, highly touted like he just happened to be the first tight end off the board he wasn't you know the uh, like the Noah fans of the world that people were like just jonesing to get him in the top 10 fair enough who, who are you looking at that that you're kind of excited on besides uh Isaiah Pacheco <laughs> I feel like if Jalen Tolbert had a different name like if his name was Sky Moore he would definitely be like a top five pick in terms of like dynasty rankings yeah and such. I mean it's like CD lamb like that's a it's such an easy name you put the old like the emoji of a CD emoji of a sheep and bam like he's he's gonna be a top 10 pick right there so it's like yeah Jalen Tolbert needs a better name yeah you see Jalen Tolbert it just reminds you of just like a, just a dude just like the, that they got off the scrap heap like right off their couch kind of thing so not a good name he needs to rebrand a little bit um some other guys that I like a lot I like David Bell, um, wide receiver for the Cleveland Browns, a little bit more than his ADP. Um, I feel like there's definitely a void there in Cleveland. Um, we'll see what Amari Cooper still has left in the tank. I felt like the Cowboys were very, very motivated to get off his contract. And that makes me a little bit worried about him because they, they they would have more intel than anybody else. And just trading for a sixth-round pick, like that doesn't give me a lot of confidence in him. And then like, who else do they have at wide receiver there? They have Donovan Peoples-Jones, who wasn't a very high draft pick. 
and then they have David Bell. So he's a big body receiver, um, got a lot of yards whenever he was at Purdue, um, played really well with having another good receiver and Rondale Moore there at the same time. So David Bell's a guy that I'm looking at that I like a lot. I like Brian Robinson Jr. a lot this year. Um, he is in Washington. He is the guy who's basically right behind um, J.D. McKissick. He's like J.D. McKissick's like the third uh, down guy getting all the passes and such. And then Antonio Gibson's the number one right yeah. now. No, I'm glad you mentioned him because I've been seeing a lot of things coming out where it's like Gibson's ass might be riding some pine and it, and it might be going to the rookies. So yeah, I'd say to the listeners, keep keep an eye out for, for more news about that because he, he might be coming into a pretty big role. Yeah, Gibson's like really falling off really quickly. Like I don't know what that did guy did. Like he must have like turnover problems. I think. Yeah, he's, he's having fumble issues, and the coaches don't play with that. Yeah, it's so weird because he went from zero fumbles his rookie year to five fumbles last year, and he lost all five of them, which makes it even worse, right? Like if you fumble, he lost, he, like his first carry of the preseason game, he fumbled, and it was like cool. Yeah, grab grab, grab some bench, buddy. We're we're putting the rookie in exactly. Like if you fumble and it goes like right into your quarterback's hands or something like that, like no harm, no foul. But like if it's an ugly one, like yeah, you're definitely going to be in trouble really quickly. So Gibson's definitely a guy who has the production in his past. He has over a thousand yards last year, but it just like doesn't seem like he has the trust of the co- of the of the coaches right now. And this is definitely like a win now year for Washington. Like Ron Rivera is definitely going to be a little bit on the hot seat if he's not performing well this year. So I think they'll definitely turn to Brian Robinson pretty early on if things aren't going well with Gibson. He was a third round pick, definitely knows how to play in a professional style offense. I think he could end up being really good sooner rather than later. Um, and another one last guy that I really like is uh, Romeo Dubes, Dubs, how do you pronounce his last name? A lot of great things coming out of camp with him, wide receiver for the Packers. Uh, it's not very often that Aaron Rodgers praises guys in general and very even less likely that he'll praise a rookie. Um, but he's been touting him. Everyone who's been going to those practices that are largely close practices have been saying how impressive he's been looking. And it's been the complete opposite for Christian Watson. So I'm kind of fading Watson a little bit. He's the other rookie wide receiver in Green Bay. Um, another guy that I also don't like as much is uh, Wendell Robinson, um, wide receiver slash running back. More of like a Isaiah McKenzie, Darren Sproles kind of gadget player out of Kentucky slash Nebraska. Um, so I know a lot about him. Definitely really, really high recruit coming out of high school. Um, transferred to Kentucky for personal reasons. And he's definitely a very good player, but just like the opportunity doesn't seem to match. Um, Kenny Galladay, I don't know if you've seen any of his tape this offseason, but dude is phoning at him. Like, Kenny Galladay does not care. Like, he got his bag, and he's just completely given up on trying to be a top-tier receiver. But there's so many other good options still in New York, right? You got Darius Slayton. You have Kadarius Tony, who we mentioned earlier. Um, you have Sterling Shepard, who's still there. Like, I feel like there's a lot of other people that are higher up in the pecking order. And as much as Wendell Robinson is a malleable player, I think it's going to be hard for him to crack the starting lineup, even with Kenny Gold. Yeah. They just not give a shit. <laughs> so, and before we move on, as far as you talk about like malleable players, I, I think the James Cook hype is a little too overblown. So, you know, people like see like, oh, gadget player in a good offense. And it's like, yeah, but that means he's like the sixth option in the Bills offense. And I know you're already fading Bills players, but to me it's like, I'd be excited about Stefan Diggs. I'd be excited about, uh, you know, Josh Allen. After that, I, I don't know if I'm excited about too many other players. Like people are like, oh, he's going to step in and be 
the starting slot receiver. It's like, no, that's not going to happen. They'll probably go to, to Gabe Davis or they have another receiver that I can't think of his name, but um, there, you know, there's, there's running backs that he's below on the depth chart. There's receivers that he's below on the depth chart. But for some reason, people think because he's both, he's just going to shoot all the way up. And it's like, he's not Dalvin cook. He's James cook. Right. So like, let's, let's curb expectations a little bit, give him a couple seasons to, to figure out the NFL before we uh, crown him like the next, you know, top 10 running back. Dude, same thing. Like, if his name was James Smith, no one would give a shit about him. Like, he's just another running back, but because he's Dalvin Cook's little brother, everyone's losing his, their minds over him. Like, if you can get him as like your last pick in the draft or second to last pick, sure, like pick him up. But he's definitely not worth a high it's, draft pick. Well, it's one of those things where it's like his gadgetry will be awesome for the Buffalo offense, but it's because they're going to use him to clear out linebackers and then get the ball to the to their playmakers. Like, they're not trying to force feed James Cook the ball they're trying to get like interesting looks for Dawson Knox or for um Stefan Diggs like yeah it's, it's I, I don't th- I mean I could be wrong you know maybe this team scores 10 touchdowns a game and you know it's they can just go all over the place I just I don't think there's enough enough time in a game to feed all the mouths there and he's pretty low on the pecking order yeah if there's one thing that you can learn from our podcast is that fantasy football isn't real life football and James Cook will be very good for real life Buffalo but he will not be good for fantasy football this year, most likely. Exactly. Okay, so we're moving on to one of our new hot take sections. Um, one of these just still come up with new ones. We I'm love so happy that we can still still have new ones. We love the gimmicks. We we're just full of them, yeah. so they keep things fresh. They're fun. I love them. So the one that we're doing this week is called fact or fiction. So basically, I have three takes for Jimmy D. Jimmy D's got three takes for me. I'm going to read out the three takes, and you tell me about each one and if you think each take is fact or fiction. So my first one that I have for you is one that's near dear to our Missouri hearts. Um, The next NFL city to get a team will be St. Louis. Fact or fiction? Yeah, so you know the this kind of comes down to the the Rams left in a really weird fashion, right? So that the the city itself enjoyed having the Rams, but they were third fiddle behind the Cardinals and the Blues. And then just being a small market team, uh, the owner was like, screw it, I'm, I'm hopping out of here. I'd rather be in L.A. where even just the TV deals are worth more than than pretty much anything you'll get in St. Louis. Um, to me, this one's fiction. I think St. Louis is perfect for like XFL, you know, cause the law. We're a big Battlehawks uh, type town. But I just don't know if we have the uh, – the football, um, I guess, like a wherewithal. I don't know what I'm trying to say here, but like St. Louis is just not a football town. It's it's a baseball town that happens to watch Blues games when the Cardinals aren't playing. Uh, and football's kind of an afterthought. And, and I think, you know, just kind of being on the ground in St. Louis, like you talk to people about football here and they have no fucking clue what they're talking about. So, like, it's, it's just not a football place. Um, so, <laughs> I'm, I'm, going, I'm going with fiction on that one. That's an indictment. Yeah. Whenever we were growing up, the Rams were pretty bad. Like, they had their Super Bowl winning year, they were really bad. And then they went to the Super Bowl a handful of years ago and they won last year. So, if you've paid attention, like, the Rams have been really bad for the majority of our lives, which is really, really tough. And like you mentioned, there's just so much salt that people in St. Louis have. Like, I don't even think they love football anymore. Like, they don't even want to, like, think about football. Obviously, like, the Battlehawks have been really great. And I think that's just because it's fresh. It's the XFL. It's almost like a different sport. You don't have to fill up the full stadium. Like, you just got to fill up the lower bowl, and and it's exciting. Yeah. Yeah. And also, the the St. Louis Stadium, um, Edwards Jonestown, 
like they're getting sued right now by Reggie Bush because Reggie Bush basically has a tire career ended because of the stadium is like too slick on the outside. So I just don't really they have see turf. Is the, the turf didn't go all the way to the wall, so he slid on concrete and tore his meniscus or ACL, and it just it ended him right there. Yeah, I feel bad for him. What a weird career, Reggie Bush. So I, I, I can yeah. see. It. I honestly, I can see St. Louis getting a basketball team, an NBA team, before I can see him getting an NFL team. Yeah. Because right now their highest level is uh, Slew Billikens basketball. So Yeah, and also they just have so much basketball pedigree in the NBA right now. you got guys like Bradley Beal who's really killing, ca- carrying the mantle as well as uh, Jason Tatum, Tatum for St. Yeah. Louis basketball. So it's interesting. Okay, what's your take for me? Right. Yeah, so for you, first one, you know, f- uh, bringing up people that you love, maybe th- rehashing some bad memories here. But for me, it's Malik Willis, in fact, does take over for Ryan Tannehill at some point this season. I think this is an absolute fact. And it goes beyond just general hate for Ryan Tannehill. I think Malik Willis has a lot of talent. Um, he's got a lot of potential. And when you draft a quarterback in the third round, you're definitely signaling to your starting quarterback that time's about ready to be up. Um, I'm not 100% on Tannehill's contract situation, but I think this will definitely be a transition year for the Tennessee Titans. Um, They got that tough schedule coming up. I don't think they make the playoffs. I don't think they win the division. And I think they end up recognizing that we need to start looking towards the future really soon. Tannehill's on the wrong side of 30. Um, A lot of his play ends up working well because he has his legs your legs don't move as well as you get to your late thirties. I'm told I'm already, I'm 23 and I'm already feeling it. Like my legs don't feel the same. So I think Malik Willis ends up taking over at some point. He definitely doesn't have the full trust of the coaching staff right now. We talked about that in the last pod with him getting yanked during their preseason game, but I think it happens at some point. It may be halfway through the season. It may be towards the end of the season, but I think the, the youth movement takes over in Tennessee at some point this year. All right, we got one fact, one fiction so far. What do you got next for me? Uh, the sixth one is a basketball one. Uh, I, I went a little weird with my takes this week, just to mix things up. So this one has been in the news a lot lately. There's something new in the news this week about um, him potentially forcing a retirement, which would be pretty unprecedented for the NBA. This next one is fact or fiction. Kevin Durant will be traded before the season starts in October. Yeah, so I'm going fiction here again, and and this one's not because like I, I don't think it's a, a hot take in the sense of like like I think you picked a good one. It's just the element of like I think he's untradeable. Like he's clearly better than Gobert, and Gobert got an absolute king's ransom in, in his trade, right? So it's like who has the amount of assets like like the amount of assets it would take to get a KD would then turn a championship team into a not a no longer championship team. But then the only team that's trading for KD is a championship team. So, like, I mean, it's a real – it's it's one heck of a dilemma to, to be in. And, and I think for that and many reasons, like, I think the Nets are just going to swallow their pride and be like, all right, KD, like, what do you want? Because we need to be relevant for the next few years while we still have you under contract. Uh, I, I just think, you know, again, like, what did it take to get him? It, it just makes him untradeable. Yeah, there's so many uh, – Honestly, retirement might be more more likely than him getting traded from the Nets. Yeah, there's so many weird variables going out right now. And uh, it just feels like all the hate for Kevin Durant's, like, really high. Like, we talked about the hard knocks uh, stray that he caught earlier this pod. And, uh, yeah, he's been threatening to retire, which is insane. Like, he's got plenty left in the tank. He has a lot of records to chase. And he definitely has rings that he could still potentially win. So not wanting to play again would be crazy. Um, and yeah, I think that's a really good point that you mentioned with Rudy Gobert. Like as much as we talk about NFL GMs getting mad about Christian Kirk and Jacksonville and how Jacksonville threw him a bag and it really messed up the wide receiver market. 
I think more so NBA GM should be mad at Minnesota for messing up the entire star trade market. Throwing four first-round picks for a guy who's not going to be a top 15 NBA player is pretty insane. And it really sets a precedent of Kevin Durant needs to have eight first-round picks or something absolutely insane in order to get him. So I, I could see him being pretty untradeable. Yeah. So then my next one for you, I don't know why I was, I was just really feeling quarterbacks, but uh, next one would be, so Mitch Trubisky starts the entire season for the Pittsburgh Steelers, fact or fiction? I think this one's fiction. I think there will definitely be a rotation going on in Pittsburgh. Um, for whatever reason, Tomlin has some weird faith in Mason Rudolph. I'm not a fan, personally. If it hasn't worked out in the last couple seasons, I don't see it happening this season. Definitely has Miles Garrett's <laughs> eyes at all times. So I don't think he survives a Cleveland game if he ever starts one of those. Um, and then, yeah, Kenny Pickett, I think, will get a look at some point. You, you don't usually draft a quarterback in the first round if you don't plan on playing him at some point. I mean, look at the L.A. Chargers. They basically try to kill Tyrod Taylor in order to get Justin Herbert to start. So it's not very often we see the Jordan Loves of the world who basically just never plays. I think usually front offices have a plan in place. And there's also been like pretty good data that it's, that's been shown that it's almost better to start your rookies sooner than later. So that way you can start getting more and more data, get them more and more reps, and realize if you have a keeper or a stinker. Uh, look at like Josh Rosen, for example. Like The Cardinals realized, hey, this guy's not any good. It's a sunk cost. Let's move on. Let's go ahead and go get Kyler. It's better just to start cycling through quarterbacks until you find one. And so I think the I think the Steelers are a smart enough organization to realize we need to start picking earlier, see if we have a good one, and then go into next year's draft class, which looks really, really strong at quarterback. And if we want to go over to CJ Stroud or Bryce Young. So I think it's fiction. No, I think I think you bring a good point though with Mason Rudolph, where it's like I don't even know how he's still on the roster. Because if you couldn't beat out Big Ben last year, like who are you beating out? Because I mean, he he was just a corpse out there. Like I, you know, he was throwing wiffle balls downfield, like just nothing would go well for, for the guy. Um, so I, I just don't know how Mason wasn't able to, to supplant, you know, big Ben and, and just like, you know, throw a relevant or, you know, like a, an accurate 10 yard slant out, whatever, just to like prove that the team can run and pass a little bit. Yeah. Uh, so it's, it's, it's interesting on that one. I do like a 30 for 30 on Big Ben's last year. Whenever he just like falls down after having the projectile of the ball coming out of his hand. Like I felt like a stiff wind could have knocked him over, which is so wild because early in his career, he couldn't get him down. And then later in his career, like Duke had an absolute noodle arm. It is crazy how quick. Know, early in his arm. career, it's like he would, he would throw the ball with Vince Wilfork, like hanging on to him. I mean, just like insane amounts of weight and strength, you know, toss him around and he would still somehow stay completely completely upright shoulder squared downfield and just just huck it down there what a wild guy <laughs> moving on to my last take for you uh this one is not overly sports related but it's tangent to it so it's sports related <laughs> it's, it's definitely sports related i feel like it's an important thing that needs to be discussed on the pod so fact or fiction buffalo chicken dip is the best game day snack yeah this this one was an easy easy uh analysis for me and that's a hundred percent fact all right it's i mean it's i don't know if this is just a midwest thing um but if it is the the rest of the country needs to get on board because buffalo chicken dip is is goaded it is absolutely the best Uh, you know everyone has their own special recipe you can change up the level of spice with it you every time you walk in the kitchen you just grab a chip throw it right in the crock pot and you're good to go like you don't need to get a plate does everything about the dip it just makes it worthwhile um 
yeah, it's 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 top notch. That's all I gotta say about that. What's, it, what? it even reheats well. Like you can put it on like scrambled eggs and stuff. Like just like it, it's just so versatile. You can make a ton of it and then just have it ready to go for anything else the rest of the rest of the week. Wait, wait, wait! Eggs and buffalo chicken dough. Yeah, dude. Okay, I'm telling you, man. You, you it's not. Like, it's yeah. Trust me, man. It's it's a good. You know, a little chicken, a little you know, a little spice with your eggs. You're good to go. I mean, I've had buffalo sauce on eggs before, but I've never put chicken in. Buffalo chicken dip's just the the evolution of buffalo sauce. So yeah, I could I could totally see it as being a good thing, but like it's just like never crossed my mind as a combo before. I thought you were gonna say like. Oh, you can put it in a burrito or something like that. Like I've done that before. No, I, honestly, I, after your game day, you just got to take a good look at what you got and then find the correct combination of two or three things, mix it together and, and make it kind of like a, either like a f- leftover fried rice or like an egg, like a scrambled egg type dish and you're good to go. Yeah. It's kind of like after the few days after Thanksgiving, when you're just like trying to find ways to continue yeah. to eat turkey, you make sandwiches <laughs> yeah, out of exactly. it, you make a stew out of it. You try to find any way just to continue to consume the food you have so you don't throw it away. I get that life. <laughs> yep. So last one for you here, unfortunately not food related though. I'm sure I could make a pretty hard pivot. But a, a non-first or second-round rookie will be the offensive rookie of the year. Again, we're, we're specifying offensive because we've talked before that like this is a very deep defense draft, but the offense was hit or miss. So uh, it had to be a third-rounder at least, but maybe later. Yeah, this one's hard because like if you look at the guys who were drafted in the first and second round, well, f- well first off the bat, actually, this is a very defensive-oriented draft. Um, we've talked about this off-camera before. Um, it's definitely strong in the defensive line, strong in the corners. It's just not that strong when it comes to impact offensive players. I think that really played out during this um, college football season. You saw a lot of really low-scoring games. I don't have data to back that up, but like just the general vibe that you got was you're going to get into a old-style kind of game if you're uh, watching a college football game this year. And so it's a little tough once you get out of those first two rounds because that's when all the impact offensive players went a lot of nfl teams were really thirsty for that talent this year and so the the options are definitely a tad bleak it's guys that i even like like brian robinson and david bell but like even those guys need a few injuries to make it happen or they're more project players that could end up being more impact players down the road um i'm looking at the list right now and it's like it's like a jalen tolbert um i could see even offensive linemen having a big impact this year but like offensive linemen never win that award which i think is honestly pretty unfair like rashawn slater was basically like a all pro player last year as was like creed humphrey like why don't those guys get consideration i don't really know just because they don't get the flashy stats i suppose so i'm gonna say this one's fiction i just don't think there's like a more a big enough impact guy like you're looking at like the son haskins of the world and such so i'm, I'm gonna stick around with the chris olaves and such to end up putting the offensive review this year Okay, right on. Uh, is there anything else you want to bring up? Any more game day snacks or game day stats? Or I think I think we're good to go here. Wait, so what do you dip in your buffalo chicken dip? Like, what's the idea? I use tortilla chips. Tortilla chips, yeah. It's got to be a tortilla chip, yeah. No celery? You're not going to stay all healthy with it? Well, first of all, celery is F tier of, of any kind <laughs> of snack. Like, it doesn't belong anywhere near a football celebration. Uh, but yeah, tortilla chips are so versatile. You know, I feel like that's the go-to. You, you can use crackers as well, but you know, sometimes crackers just they don't have the right crunch. They're 
they're more buttery and not salty. It's like you need the salty to kind of to match well with the already salty uh, buffalo chicken dip. So yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's, just, it's what you. I mean, do you pick something else? What do you go with? No, I think the I think the tortilla chip is really strong. I don't like celery either, but I know some people are like, oh, you got to burn some calories by eating it. It's better, whatever. I yeah. If if you're eating buffalo chicken dip and the concern is calories, you you already messed up. Like there's <laughs> there's no going back. You just need to call it your cheat day and move on. Well, I think there's definitely a right type of tortilla chip too right like you got to use one of those scoop ones you know that like you can like kind of bunch it all up in the middle that way not to plug them but tostitos if you want to end up being a sponsor for the pot we're completely open to it but yeah you get a little scoop in there you get like a whole hunk like where you're getting a giant bite that's Mm -hmm. the ideal way to go by opinion you can get a lot of buffalo chicken dip in you really really quickly so you don't have to deal with it it's a good argument right there yeah yeah so uh, that'll be it for us today. Um, we're going to have another pod on Sunday. I uh, haven't really thought about the the subject of that one, but we're going to be figuring it out. So thank you all so much for listening this week, and uh, we'll see you all on Sunday. Yeah, have a great one. See you guys.